Jenny and Alex, who both work for Caring in Bristol, uh, which is a homeless charity. It started about 20 years ago, and it used to be called Caring at Christmas, and it's since evolved to become a 365 days a year charity. Jenny, could you tell me how you got involved with Caring in Bristol? Yes, I can. Um, and just to do a little fact check, I think it's uh, the charity's thir- actually 30 years old. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, just for, you know, just to be accurate. Um, yeah, so uh, I joined the charity um, nearly two years ago in a kind of entry-level position, um, kind of, li- yeah, leading on uh, fundraising and communications work for the charity. Um, and yeah, that's, I've been kind of, yeah, heading up that side of our work. Uh, for nearly two years um, and how did I get involved with charity I, I actually um, volunteered for um, the Caring at Christmas project um, when I was 19 I think um, I'm from Bristol um, originally I grew up here um, this is my first kind of uh, job working in the charity sector my, my background is in kind of academia and in um, the arts and I, I am in a theatre company and, and I'm an artist I make, make work for my theatre company um, uh, but I really got involved uh, because um, I saw that the city was changing quite a lot and that there was uh, this when I kind of moved back here after living away for about six years um, I noticed yeah a huge kind of change in the city and lots of changes for the better um, but also a huge kind of gap in experience of the city from yeah from lots of um, from from kind of my experience and my my sort of of personal experience and um, friends and peers um, and I just saw a very visible kind of street homelessness growing kind of problem um, and was kind of aware of what that might represent for the city and having spent a long time kind of yeah working in the arts and academia I wanted to sort of channel my energies into um, into a kind of charity that I saw could do some some good hopefully in the city and to make an impact and kind of use my yeah kind of creative skills uh to to yeah make an impact on on the issue so alex has your background been in charity work or have you been have you swapped from a different industry as well prior to working here i worked for um several housing providers kind of supported housing providers um which is it's a kind of industry term i guess that means is homelessness hostels for adults with very complex needs i worked in those in bristol for perhaps 18 months immediately before this job. And prior to that, I had a longer history of working in high support youth housing. So again, they're kind of homelessness hostels for young people. Um, and I'd spent probably f- four years doing that, but I've interrupted that history of experience with time spent outside of the UK as well. And um, yeah. Caring Christmas used to be the whole charity but is now just one project you do. Uh, could you just tell me a bit about what Caring at Christmas looks like in this day and age? Caring at Christmas has, has existed for 30 years in Bristol and started out, I suppose, as many large-scale voluntary projects do, which was just a, a collective outpouring of the need to do something for people who uh, are vulnerable, in this case people who are sleeping rough in the city, at that point in the year when it's particularly cold and when people are particularly sensitive to um, the worst impacts, I suppose, of, of sleeping rough 
um, it kind of continued with a very voluntary philosophy for quite a long time, I think, and there were some incredible um, stories that come out of that project, n not all of which were ever captured, in fact. We, we live in quite a modern age right now where things are recorded electronically and you have, you know, I guess there's a, there's a focus on things that we capture and that we share and that we speak about publicly, but in the early years of, of that project, a lot of things are just captured on paper, things are word of mouth, there are kind of communities of people who've been involved year after year after year for kind of five years, ten years, fifteen years in that project. I suppose over the last few years what's, what's changed has, has probably been the nature of homelessness, some of the old stereotypes, some of the old archetypes we might have, some of the old models of thinking about who homelessness affects, who, who ends up rough sleeping, why and when. Um, have proven to be kind of inadequate for understanding the modern picture and there's also been a gradual recession I suppose of, of the state as it backs away from the kinds of provision that historically may have taken place and what that means is that there are there are charities who in the past were doing things around the fringe who are now doing quite performing quite complex tasks um, and I think that to manage that effectively and to do that well for people who need it the project is professionalized in in certain respects and modernized in some ways um i think it's something we're all quite proud of here actually how that process has, has gone on um but i think we've we've tried to move towards something that's kind of more fit for purpose in in 2019 for example is what we'll be planning this year and similar as we, to we did last year and what you provide to people who sleep rough in this day and age is quite different to what you would have provided 30 odd years ago um, so what what are the main differences in terms of what you provide? Um, so I think that that's something that we're kind of still developing. Um, I think essentially carrying it, Chris, I think kind of what Alex is highlighting is that that project kind of emerged to um, at a particular time and provided some kind of basic needs for, for people um, around Christmas time because there was a gap in, in sort of services so lots of other kind of homelessness services and, and support would shut over Christmas so this it kind of came at Christmas came about to sort of plug that that gap and I think that that that, that is kind of still remains relevant today um, and I think that we um, that we are kind of developing how it can be more effective as a project um, beyond just the kind of basic needs of providing food and shelter and kind of companionship and kind of well-being activities. Um, I think that we have kind of done that very well for, for a long period of time and I think that yeah we're looking particularly this year to think about about how we can link that project in with um, with other uh, other services, other support in the city to start thinking about a, about a more longer term impact of that project so that it doesn't just kind of pop up and provide a kind of sh support for a very sh short period of time over the year, how we can extend that beyond that period of time. And we have a number of a number of other projects that, that kind of do that. Um, but I think we are kind of, yeah, we're thinking about how that as our Christmas, current Christmas is our kind of flagship project and as a project that gets a lot of kind of public attention and support how we can then convert that into something more impactful beyond just the kind of basic needs and, I, and we haven't achieved that yet for sure um i think last year we made some sort of for us some quite big changes to the project because we it has historically happened from this from the same kind of building um and we sort of 
separated out the kind of um, day center and the night shelter. Historically, those two things have kind of existed in the same building. Um, and yeah, that last year we we kind of separated out those the kind of day center and night shelter, and that gave us an opportunity to really look uh, in more detail at the project and how it was running. Um, and I think this year, yeah, we'll be thinking about how we can kind of get other services involved, meant to get kind of mental health support much more involved. Um, think about um, the kind of role that, yeah, the project plays in actually supporting the people that come to it to, to actually kind of find a way off of the streets if they're kind of still there and support them. There's a lot of people that come to that project that, um, you know, aren't necessarily kind of sleeping rough or living on the streets, but are kind of acutely vulnerable in lots of other ways and for lots of other reasons. So it's about thinking, looking at um, yeah, looking at those group of people and thinking what is the best way that we can support them. Last year we had a researcher who came um, and kind of spent some time at the project and did some kind of um, questionnaires with, with guests and we've kind of begun to get a better understanding of who's coming and that's going to help us inform us, uh, yeah, thinking about the project next year. Um, last year we also ran a pilot um, project for families living in temporary accommodation, um, which is a whole group of people who are experiencing homelessness. It's not kind of street homelessness, but it's a it's a, a form of homelessness that's really prevalent in the city and that uh, there's kind of thousands of families who are experiencing that and we we ran a, a kind of uh, act day act winter day activity for those families um and so that was a really that was a kind of div you know a new development and that's and Alex was sort of mentioning about the different the different kind of lands the landscape is really different now and that landscape is much broader than just people sleeping rough it, homelessness kind of extends from the streets kind of out and beyond to lots of other people who are kind of in that situation so that was something that we did last year to try and kind of begin to address that and I think that's what we're going to kind of build on hopefully this year and in the future. Our flying speed is 575 miles per hour. So you've both spoken a lot about how it's a very different climate in 2019 yeah. to when you started and when charity started um, and one that's much more specifically linked to your charity is Streetlink, and I was just wondering if you could tell me about how that works. Yeah, Streetlink is is an app that's used, um, and it's it's used uh, not just in Bristol; it's used in other cities um, around the country, um, and it's it's a great tool for. Um, for, for the general public to use uh, to engage with people that they see on the streets and to link them in with uh, their kind of street outreach team who will be their first kind of point of uh, contact and support to help get them kind of out off the streets and out of that um, kind of into a into a, a situation where they can move beyond kind of yeah being on the streets so um, it's if yeah I don't know how familiar you are with how it works um, but it's essentially it's a kind of way to kind of log somebody so if you're if you're walking home late at night and you see somebody um, sleeping in a doorway, then you can either approach that person and find out, a, a kind of engage in the conversation and find out a bit more about their situation and then uh, kind of log that on the app and that will go directly to the street outreach team who will then be able to find that person. Um, but more than likely, you know, the street outreach team kind of know about that person, but it's a way for the public to, to start, yeah, kind of engaging and be able to do some of that work for the street outreach team to themselves. Um, and yeah, for kind of for the sake of clarity, the, the kind of street outreach team is a is a statutory um, service that the the Bristol City Council um, yeah fund, and that is uh, that outreach team are kind of run by a, a big national charity called St Mungo's. Um, so yeah, they kind of hold that um, that kind of role in the city. 
do to raise funds so yeah carrying bristol um we rely um for a large proportion of our kind of income on on raising money from the public so it's a really important part of um it's a really important part of the way that we fund ourselves as a charity so we are constantly yeah trying to think of new ways to fundraise um, and new ways that we can engage our community to fundraise for us um and last year we uh last christmas we ran a big public facing kind of christmas campaign uh which was a fundraising yeah a fundraising campaign um that was uh was really uh, successful and really fantastic and i think kind of galvanized um some uh yes parts of our city to think about uh think about homelessness and what that looks like at christmas and uh, wanting to kind of get behind a charity who was trying to yeah kind of address that um so yeah we kind of run big public kind of campaigns um we also are always looking for our community and people individuals to fundraise for us whether that's kind of doing those you know kind of standard charity challenge fundraising events running the bristol 10k running the bristol half marathon or whether that's doing something using your kind of skills we had a guy who um a really brilliant children's illustrator called uh, Duncan Beattie who um, had uh, illustrated a children's book um, that was about a kind of that was essentially about homelessness um, focused on a kind of a pigeon um, and uh, and money he sold prints of that book and the money that he raised from that came to us so from really small scale things like that up to the, our, our kind of big public facing campaigns there's, um, there's loads of ways that we are we are personally kind of raising money and encouraging our community to um, and a couple of years ago we also started a small scale kind of trading project uh, we launched the absolute Bristol legends kind of merchandise range um, and that we worked in collaboration with um, a local uh, illustrator um, Chris Wright who um, runs Turbo Island Tees and um, yeah he, he illustrated uh, 36 I think absolute Bristol legends uh, from kind of um, Nipper the HMV dog up to sort of Banksy to ranging yeah to kind of um blackbeard was on there um and they all featured on a, a tea towel um and yeah uh, that you could buy for um for christmas presents so uh, and last year we developed that and kind of uh, added some t-shirts to the range so yeah we're as a charity we're trying to think of new ways that we can yeah raise some money and, and work with people in our city to do that and that's kind of yeah at the heart really of what we're of the way that we're trying to kind of raise money and do things differently we hope to have you with us again so so this year we've well there's kind of various challenge fundraising events we've got um there's a big kind of dragon boat for, uh, race that happens in june um which what's a dragon boat race so it's this big annual uh <laughs> annual event fundraising event that um is run by uh, a kind of bristol rotary club um and it's kind of yeah teams from uh, different businesses can kind of come together and they race in these dragon boats that, that look like well, alex did it last year um, so he can probably speak more informatively about it than, than I can. Um, but they're essentially like big canoes with dragons on the end. Or like a Viking, yeah. one of those sort of things. Great. Yeah. Is that okay. what it is? It's a Viking boat. Okay. So, yeah, if you want to get involved in in that, please get a team together and uh, and take part in that. Um, and in terms of... Um, 
yeah in terms of kind of other uh, events we don't have like loads of events coming up but we're kind of recruiting for yeah people who, for kind of challenge fundraising we had an event at the Gallimalfrey um, a couple of weeks ago and there's going to be another live music event happening um, in a couple of months so keep an eye out for that um, but the best way to keep it to kind of keep an eye out is just to follow us on, on social media um, to kind of yeah keep in touch much higher and faster than you've ever flown before. Could you tell me a little bit about the community takeover you do at your shelter? We run a shelter, 365 shelter, um, and the shelter's staffed by two volunteers each night, so it's kind of, yeah, volunteer sort of driven project. Um, and we offer out the opportunity for um, like a community takeover for a week. So we kind of get people to provide all the volunteers to kind of staff um, the shelter for that week. Um, and then we ask them to kind of fundraise to cover the costs for the, of the running of the shelter for that week. Um, so it's like, yeah, a kind of week, and that can be, you can do that with your kind of your work colleagues or we've had like a group from a kind of random village in outside Wiltshire who kind of came it was just literally some kind of a group of people who live in the same village want to come and do it um so yeah it's kind of it's just quite like a, a, a yeah quite a tangible thing that people can kind of get involved with and volunteer kind of volunteer and also fundraise for I think we'd also considered when we were developing the the takeover the shelter takeover idea that often approaches the people to back any kind of charitable cause whether it's um, uh, an animal welfare charity or whether it's a homelessness charity or whether it's an international aid charity there, there are kind of two separate conversations one of them is felt to be quite internal which is what work do we actually do and then the other one is how do we tell people about work so that they'll back it because you know uh, money makes the world go round and that's that's exactly the same for projects in the charitable sector it's anywhere else the idea with the takeover was that we would allow people, or we'd open a door really for people to come in and really see what kinds of work go on in the sector. What kind of things do the charity do? Well, come down to the shelter and see it so that you know exactly what kind of work you're backing when you fundraise for Caring in Bristol. Um, and we've really enjoyed the conversations that go on after the fact where people say, oh, well, you know, for years we've raised money for X and Y Z charity. The money goes off, there's a photo opportunity maybe with the recipients and that's the end of a relationship. Whereas with this, people came back and said, I didn't realise the issue looked like that. I didn't realise Bristol was kind of at this point. I didn't realise that this was what a shelter looked like. I didn't realise that I would encounter people with this life story or with this experience. And it's it, it kind of normalises things in some people's minds. And I think it makes the subject of homelessness quite tangible in a way that it, it often isn't. Many of us encounter it at a distance, even even on the street. You know, you think there's someone who isn't like me, living a life not like mine. I don't really know what they need. I don't really know why they're there. I think it's quite a common response. And to break some of that down, I think, is really critical, as Jenny mentioned, to moving to a position where this city is able to answer the question for itself, do we want to allow homelessness to continue? And, fingers crossed, if people say, no, we don't, then saying this is what it looks like to turn that situation around. to imagine that you've become all-powerful and you can change any law you like to affect homelessness I like this feeling um, <laughs> or you can put one in you can put a new one in if you think that would be more, uh, ah, more okay. useful right. okay what are you going to do well in Scotland uh, they've successfully removed one of the criteria for people receiving statutory housing assistance uh, which is what's called a priority need criteria 
the way the law is structured in the UK is that for someone who's sleeping rough to be entitled to housing in their local authority area, they need to be from that area. And that's kind of a historical question. Are you basically connected here by past residency or by immediate family connection? There's also a question about whether you're intentionally homeless. So there's kind of an investigation into how did you end up uh, without a roof over your head if you're sleeping rough? Were you culpable in that? And if you were, then the state doesn't necessarily owe you housing. And the third condition is priority need. And fundamentally, the reason for that is that there is more demand for rough sleeping accommodation and for all forms of homelessness accommodation than there is supply. So it's a rationing mechanism. And the priority need category exists to make sure that people who are most in need are housed first. So that applies to people who are particularly young, uh, people who have dependent children, of course, people with um, certain physical mental health needs. What happened in Scotland was they removed the priority need criteria altogether and what they found was <clears throat> that they were able to reduce homelessness part, partly through that um, because it does unfortunately leave large bodies of people who are never going to be eligible for assistance until their situation deteriorates. So if you're on the street now and you're relatively healthy, you're relatively well organised, um, you have a, you know, a benefit claim in place you would be essentially left to languish, legally left to languish, until you developed a pretty major need. And I think it's really unfortunate that we kind of set that up as a criterion, which is until you're suffering more than you are now, we're actually going to prioritise other people's needs. Now, again, I think you need to add into that the idea that we just really push on the significance of local authority house building again, um, because we mentioned earlier when we were talking about caring at Christmas that the landscape has, has changed around homelessness over the last 30 years. Talking to other colleagues in, in other services, Jenny mentioned the outreach team in Bristol, kind of statutory outreach team. It's very apparent that there was a historical archetype of someone sleeping rough. It was someone with a set of very particular issues, usually um, history of childhood trauma that then fed into experimentation with drug and alcohol use as maybe as a young teenager to cope with that then maybe developing some quite um, some quite unusual personality traits frankly to kind of as a manifestation of all of that internalized suffering and trauma and also as ways to navigate a very adverse living situation day in day out day in day out and that may have been true for a large number of people sleeping rough for a very, very long time. But what has changed really significantly in the last 10 or 15 years in the UK is the proportion of people who are actually economically sleeping rough, who don't have that particularly traumatised biographical background. What we're finding now is that just on pure economic terms, regardless of your own personal life story, it's just very, very difficult to stay housed. Certainly when you find things like the welfare system being um, being made progressively harder to access when you find the criteria for different benefit stipends being made more and more intense when you look at work capability assessment when you look at the impact of universal credit when you look at the introduction of the bedroom tax in a way that wasn't particularly foresighted you start to see that people suffer because of a very very constructed political bureaucracy a very constructed administrative system which means that now we have large numbers of people who actually don't fit that archetype. Our, our ways of thinking and some of our ways of legislating about homelessness are mired in the past and haven't really caught up with economic developments of the past 10 or 15 years. And I think all that lens 
feeds into my kind of belief that homelessness really is a, a man-made problem it's something that we have constructed it's not something that falls out of the sky it's not something that has to happen everywhere there are countries where this doesn't happen there are times in UK history when it was a minority problem we're living through a moment where collectively we've somehow lost the imagination or we've lost the awareness or we've lost our ability to keep a finger on the pulse and really see how we're causing suffering and how we perpetuate suffering and how we allow that to continue um, so I would remove the priority need category and I would also look very heavily at what you do to mandate or force or require um, some kind of planning in your local house building to make sure that these constraints are loosened for people and this pressure is kind of lightened. We're now at cruising altitude, 35,000 feet. 35, feet. How can people get involved with Caring Bristol and how can they see what work you've done as well? you can um it just engage with us so find us uh on facebook on twitter on instagram at carrying bristol um go on our website our beautiful i think very biased website um and read about our projects um and engage with what we're doing um we have uh, yeah, a number of different projects that where and they all kind of have a volunteer angle to them. So we're really dependent upon our community to kind of join us in in, in helping run these projects for for people experiencing homelessness. Um, so from our kind of from volunteering a night a month at our three six five shelter to be to hosting a young person for a number of nights through our kind of Bristol Nightstop project or our Room Forty Five project. Um, to kind of coming at Christmas and helping us uh, kind of joining with 700 other people to help us kind of make that project happen to donating you know, kind of time, your skills come and help us make our Facebook page look amazing come and help us kind of, you know figure out how to better run the, the shelter and help us carry the, the laundry uh, any time that you, <laughs> that you kind of have that you want to that you want to kind of get involved and find out more about, about the charity and how it kind of works we would love to hear from you um, and engage in the issue uh, we run uh, kind of workshops we have a, a program of workshops called get to know um, and we can come and deliver one of those with your in your business in your workplace in your school in your community group um, and find out more about the issue and because as a charity we're dedicated to kind of solving this issue in some way and we cannot do that alone it has to it relies on our city to kind of get behind us so get get involved get to know right <laughs> All right, thank you both for talking to me. Thank you for talking to us.